Welcome to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. Mainly Hannon. Here, we celebrate and honor people in recovery one conversation at a time. Let's talk. Welcome back. This is episode 36. My next guest is Drew Sullivan. Drew is an entertainment executive, seasoned talent agent and marketing representative with over 12 years of entertainment and speaking industry experience. Drew is a senior vice president at American Program Bureau Incorporated, where he has been on both the marketing and the sales side since he started in 2015. Drew's story was almost cut short due to a 15-year battle with alcohol and cocaine. In August 2020, Drew hit rock bottom and was arrested for a second DUI in 10 years. Not knowing where to turn and having already ran out of luck with most of his loved ones, Drew needed to find a solution before his life was ruined forever. Finding a strategy that would work for him had never been successful as both rehab and AA had failed in the past and thinking they would suddenly work was unrealistic. Drew found that the answer was to slow down, get still, and start by making the first right move, or as Drew likes to call it, the first small step. By repeating this process and focusing on small steps, big change started to happen. It wasn't long before Drew realized that this mentality is what everyone needs to do if they want to make a big change in their life, especially when traditional ways to solving problems doesn't work. Whether it is substance use abuse, gun violence prevention, mental health struggles, racial equity, social media, etc., adversities in life are meant to be experienced together. Without community, we have nothing, but with it, anything is possible. Take a listen. Well, hi, Drew. Thank you so much for being here. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me so much. I, I really am grateful for uh, the opportunity to have this conversation with you, and I know that uh, I've been looking forward to it, and, and I hope that uh, you have too. Oh, I definitely have. Let's just get started. Tell me a little bit about what you do, um, and then what was life like before, you know, recovery? Yeah, I think it's, um, thank you for, for that question and for starting in that way, because I actually believe that what I do for work and, and where my interests lie career-wise has actually been very much aligned with my substance journey uh, uh -huh. in the sense that a lot of the work I do is very much paired well with substance. Uh, substance is kind of that accessory to the uh, perfect outfit and, and my career is that perfect outfit, right? And mm -hmm. so you need that sunglasses or that wallet or that, you know, keychain or that hat to go with you at all times. And that's what substance was for me. So thank you for, for asking that question because it's definitely a big part of my story. Uh, I've always had a passion for entertainment. Uh, and I think that, um, it's been a great thing for me because it's so important to to care a lot about the work you do as a professional. Um, but I also believe that it it definitely didn't help my substance journey. And so I um, started in PR and marketing and and I really had a uh, knack for reality TV that was really mm -hmm. at the beginning of my journey. Mm -hmm. And so I won't waste anyone's time on sharing about, you know, the people I worked with in that space, as I feel uh, many of them are probably at this moment not as relevant as, as they were at the time. Sure. Um, but what I realized quickly through that journey was was the fact that I wasn't really lacking or I was lacking a purpose and I was lacking around like, why did you want to do this? And, mm -hmm. you know, I think like any career, we all have ideas of, of what we want to do and we sure. think about, oh, 
you know, that seems cool or that seems fun or that could, you know, make me a lot of money. Uh, and we tend to not think about oh, what impact does this have on ourselves? What impact does this have on others? Mm -hmm. And so after about six years in the entertainment industry, doing PR and marketing, you know, from one TV show to the next TV show, and, and it's, you know, the shelf life of a reality talent can be anywhere from six to eight months to, you know, a year, sure. not everyone is a real housewife, right? And that has 10 years on a show or, you know, 15 years on a show for some of them. Some of them have that one shot. And if it doesn't work, then it doesn't continue on. And right. as a representative in that space, you know, that's kind of the same shelf life for you with a client is that uh -huh. when they don't need your services anymore, you move on. And so in 2015, I took an opportunity in Boston and I started working at a speakers bureau uh, and it's American program bureau, APB speakers where I was able to start working with people that were in, you know, the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, uh, authors, uh, public intellectuals, world leaders, Nobel laureates, wow. celebrities, athletes, um, you name it. And I am helping colleges and universities now bring the speakers that they would like for their students and faculty wow. and staff and communities uh, to their campuses. Uh, and so I'm able to really be an agent to help bridge the gap between the speaker and the voice that's coming and the organization the community that's bringing them in. And so wow. I've been able to, you know, work across all areas of industry in this space. Uh, and some of my speakers that I work with directly include um, Eddie Glaude from Princeton and MSNBC, oh. Juju Chang from Nightline and ABC, uh, Byron Pitts, who also is her Nightline co-anchor. Wow. Um, Bishop William J. Barber from the Poor People's Campaign, Alyssa Farrah Griffin, who's the conservative seat on The View now, wow. and David Hogg, who started March for Our Lives and, and is really the voice of Gen Z and, and activism, mm -hmm. uh, and many wow. others that, you know, that I can name, can't name, many people sure. that just are working in so many different impactful spaces. But what I realized through that was that it was the first time in my life that I had really had something that was bringing such a big impact and purpose. And, uh -huh. and I think that for a few years while I was still using in this industry, I didn't really realize that and the power that I held. And then as I went through my own recovery journey, uh, which we'll obviously discuss, right. you know, my job and my career became far more intentional and the work I did mm -hmm. became far more just purpose-driven and, and less around you know, the money that I would make or the attention that I could get by posting a picture of me and that speaker at the event. Right. And it was more around, you know, who's benefiting from this speaker? How is this message able to be brought, you know, more broadly to similar communities or the same community? And what I learned through that is when you focus on those things, all of the external, you know, parts of the process, they come anyways. So sure. the money flows in that direction. The attention comes to you for all the right reasons, not all the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of parallels, I think, with recovery in that same process. Uh, and so when you say, how was life like before? It just went. It was messy at times. Yeah. You know, it's it was glamorous at times. But I always felt that my use or my misuse of substance at times it was really bold and right in your face that it was limiting the work I could do professionally. Sure. Other times it was like that silent demon that I was dealing with that just was weighing me down. And maybe I was the only person that was noticing that it was weighing me down, mm -hmm. but it was always really present. And I think that when I look back at some of the lows of my career prior to my recovery, I'd say all of them 
can be attributed to my substance use, you know, disorder. And I think that Mm -hmm. when you look at your life, Juju Chang said something actually on my podcast Mm -hmm. that she said, life is hard to understand, or life can only be understood by looking backwards, but life can only be lived living in the future. And so when I look backwards on my life now, and I look at how I navigated career, you know, whether it's professional or personal, pre-recovery, all of my hardships make so much more sense now. Uh, At the time, they didn't. Uh, I think I was just going and I felt like I was the survivor and that I was so strong because I was able to do it all. And what I was, you know, Mm -hmm. not really realizing was that a lot of the adversities that I was going through were self-inflicted, you know, at the Uh, end of the day, uh and they were by choices that I made. Um, And so to answer it just in one word, I would just say hard. It was hard to, you know, Mm -hmm. like any career, but I think when you're constantly at a party or an event or a release or a, you know, something that is going to have uh, alcohol, uh, you know, directly connected to it, um, there was never really a chance for me to take a step backwards and say, oh no, like, how do I do this? And so, um, just messy, really messy. Uh, and I so appreciate your, you know, describing that for us because I think that's a missed opportunity to talk about. There is so much pressure, you know, especially when you're in the entertainment field, Drew, the pressure that you might have experienced to either navigate and not do it, not use, or just use and then pay the consequences knowing that you're trying to quit. At what point did you say, even though it sounded super glamorous, the stuff that you're doing and the people that you're meeting, um, how did you get through and decide, you know, enough's enough? and, And you're still in the field of entertainment. And how do you navigate that now? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. And I always say that COVID, it's really hard for me to talk about COVID with so many people because the majority of our world just, that is such a dark time for them. Like, you know, the really hard parts of COVID that I think for anyone that was in recovery pre-COVID, went through recovery during COVID, for a lot of people, they felt as if the COVID landscape was difficult for them to navigate because it, sure. it put them in to, you know, it put them into really dark places that that were hard for them to find community and to find people that were there for them and, th- and that they could be there for. And sure. a lot of the survival tactics that people had pre-COVID, you know, they had to be either they had to pivot or they had to reconstruct those those strategies and, and those, you know, ways in which they were um, fueling their recovery once COVID hit. For me, COVID was such a blessing because Mm -hmm. the simplicity of living in a world through a pandemic, as much as we felt as if our world was all over the place, when you really break it down, it was really simple. Stay home, wear a mask, and you you pretty much couldn't do the things that you did before. And so I think when COVID first hit, my substance use was brought to an all-time high because I didn't have much to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I would start drinking earlier in the day. I, you know, I, I first really took the COVID guidelines um, to heart. And so I wouldn't go and get, you know, my daily coffee. And there were days that I would blow a line of cocaine at eight in the morning to mm-hmm. get working. And so, you know, when you look at that kind of um, the corners that I was pushed into because of COVID, it eventually led to my rock bottom because I then got my second DUI in 10 years. Mm -hmm. I gotten one back in college. And so 
COVID brought me down to rock bottom. But then when I realized that, you know, I had less, I couldn't run to people that would have enabled me in the past. I, I couldn't run to the parts of my career or personal life or friend group right. that I could say, let me find that really fun friend that is going to enable me because they think that we're just going out for one night and that we're just gonna get hammered and do drugs. And then the next day they may not do that for another couple of weeks. I'm gonna then go find that other friend that's gonna enable me to sure. do it two days in a row and then three days in a row and then four days in a row. And so I think that I totally, heightened my behaviors at the beginning part of COVID. But mm -hmm. when I got that second DUI and I had nothing to turn, like no one, no experiences, no communities to turn to, but those that were really in my innermost circle, my parents, my friends. But when I say friends, I mean like my three or four really solid sure. friends, my ride or dies, mm -hmm. my partner, my sisters, um, uh, you know, extended family, who in that group is going to enable someone that they know has now gotten their second DUI in 10 years? Sure. They shouldn't be in that inner circle if they're going to enable that. So COVID stripped me from all of those external factors that could have given me the validation that I needed to continue going in a bad direction. By being in the pandemic setting, I wasn't able to, to access those people. And so sure. I turned to all of my close-knit circle and they all said, it's either help, it's either sobriety, it's either you need to figure this out now or you will not have a family, you will not have a partner, you will not have close friends because it was just way too real. I mean, we were going through something where so many people had, you know, life-threatening mental health concerns, people lost jobs, you right. know, people lost family members through the pandemic, obviously, we lost over a million lives. And so right. I think that the patience that the people around me in my most inner circle, it, it was at its lowest ever. And so wow. I had just no choice but to say, okay, like if I, it was fight or flight, it was, do I want to navigate a world that is not open for me to navigate without the people that will be there for me? Cause that's pretty much what I was up against. Right. Or do I want to let go of something that has weighed me down? And I know that for certain, for a certain amount of time and regrow, or I guess, you know, focus on my rebirth and, and my growth in an environment where there's no external pressures and where I have this natural organic pandemic to be able to say, oh, I can't go to the club. Oh, I can't do this because it's just not allowed. And then rebuild with the people around me the most that are the most helpful and the most intentional and the most authentic with the energy that they provide and the, and the comfort that they provide. And so that was just a choice that was in front of me. And it was, I'd like to say it was a difficult choice, but it wasn't because I knew in that moment that it was my only choice. And so mm. I then said to myself, it's time to take that step forward. It's time to say, you know, I'm scared shitless. Right. I don't want to go to rehab. I don't want to go to, um, you know, AA. I had negative experiences that didn't allow me to see the benefits of those programs at that moment. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I said to myself, I am just going to physically remove alcohol and cocaine from my life. I know I can do that. Wow. And when I do that, I am going to do everything that people tell me. I am going to call my mom every day. I'm going to go to my psychiatrist. I am going mm -hmm. to speak up when I feel a certain way. So I don't get pushed into a corner where I am not able to cope with whatever is going on in my life. I'm going to take it day by day. And as I started to do that, I started to realize that 
that day turned into a week and that week turned into a month. And as, as fast as I, and I, I'd like to say it was fast. I mean, our lives do move by, or our lives really do move by quickly, though sure. sometimes they can feel as if they're moving at a tortoise speed. Or reverse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think that as much as it took a while to get there, when I look back, I said, wow, I just did three months and, and, it, and it didn't kill me and, and I'm mm. stronger and I feel better and I'm doing better at work. And yeah, I, I haven't entered into the real world yet because COVID is still real. And this is at the uh -huh. end of 2020. But I knew that I was going to be able to, and I knew that I didn't have to yet. And so I used COVID to my advantage after COVID brought me down. And I recently heard someone that said, if we all realize that what the, the, the skills and the mindset that we use to survive can also be the skills and the mindset that we use to thrive. I love that. That's when we can bridge the gap between physically removing substance from our life and rebuilding our lives in a way that we know that we will not go back to substance in our life. And so um, what a powerful statement. What does that mean to you now? It's everything. I mean, it's, it's everything. I think that every single day I go back to the earliest parts of my recovery and I call that my sobriety time. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is that sobriety was for me physically removing substance from my life. It was putting practices in play to help me give myself what I need in the hardest moments. Mm -hmm. it, it, it was what I did to help myself show up in the moments that matter the most in a way that is the most healthy and not in a way that is putting a Band-Aid over all my problems and saying, I'm going to get through these three hours because I'm going to have three glasses of wine and then I'm going to have three more. And then tomorrow morning, I'm going to forget about all of the problems I had yesterday. And then I'm going to go through my day. And when those problems get hard again, I'm going to just do it all over. I got rid of that. But then what I realized is that it's not enough, unfortunately. And, and it's when there comes a tipping point where you can physically get through all of the decisions you make, but you have to turn to kind of the why. Mm -hmm. And if you don't address the why, they will come back in some way, maybe not in the exact way, because some people are just really great at physically resisting certain things. Sure. But you'll, you'll find ways and, and patterns of finding new things that are not going to be healthy for you. And so how do I navigate it now? It's it's constantly checking on myself, but it's also constantly going back to the way in which I felt on August 8th, 2020. Mm -hmm. Never mm -hmm. forgetting that. It's not having regrets. It's not looking at the past. I know there's a lot of people out there that say that that's not healthy. I actually find it to be one of the healthiest practices that I have. It's not to weigh, it's not to sit back and to be uncomfortable with the life that I lived. It's not to look back on the things that I lost or the mm -hmm. opportunities that I didn't get to see because of my substance use abuse. It's to go back and just to know that that's a place I never want to go to again. It's like a reminder. Right? Yeah, it's a reminder. And I think that we all have things in our lives. It's like, you know, if you taste a new food and you hate it, you know, you remember what that food tasted like sure. the next time someone says, do you want that? And so I think like, why isn't, you know, why isn't sobriety and recovery? that simple. I mean, I think that I, I look at alcohol and cocaine now as just food that makes me like, just have the worst, you know, crying face, right? Like this just horrible, <laughs> right. disgusting taste in my mouth, because I know that the result of 
eating that food or you know taking in that substance is not something that's going to make me healthy and happy and so what i try to do now is i try knowing that i'm on the other side of the physical addiction and knowing sure. that i'm on the other side of this substance use abuse i focus more now on my why like why did i do this and why did i you know why did i turn to substance but then also like what did i do to rid myself of that substance and why why did those decisions happen in the first place? And then I addressed those whys with really healthy ways of dealing with them. And it could be anything from, you know, scheduling a lunch date with a friend, just, you know, mm -hmm. saying to my partner, like, let's go on a walk. I want to talk about some things that have been, you know, going on in my life that I just need to get out there and just get, you know, get a, off, get on the table in a way that's healthy and, and that is productive. And then it's also just doing the things that are really helpful for me giving back to myself. I mean, yesterday, my partner and I, um, you know, it was Valentine's Day. And what we did was that we said to ourselves, like, happy Valentine's Day. I love you. You know, it's amazing that we get to share this love together. But we also were intentional with celebrating Valentine's Day with ourselves. And it's really important to practice that self-love and to Absolutely. understand that it is a big part of of all of us. And, and just to know that when we automatically assume that we are okay, that's when we have to turn to things like substance when we're not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you get those thoughts, and I love your answer, I think that's really astute. When you get to those places, as we're all human, um, what steps, there's something you mentioned about small steps for big change, and you're sharing some of these steps. Can you say more about that, When, especially when you're not feeling okay? How do those things work for you now? Yeah, I mean, it's always different. Sure. I think that, you know, there are times that I've, I've even had to kind of think about this. I'm like, am I going against my message when I say <laughs> that, you know, you can't make a big change without going through small steps? Well, sometimes the smallest step is all you need to take, right? And so there's times that I need to put a dozen steps together to, in order to accomplish something I want. And I think that by focusing on the next right move, mm -hmm by focusing on the most simple step in the right direction. And if you do that consistently, it doesn't matter if there's 10 steps needed, 20 steps needed, or one step needed. It's just making sure that you're not taking on more than you can handle in that moment sure. to move in the direction that you wanna move in. And so with work, it could be as simple as, you know, taking a step back and saying like, what are the factors that go into this really hard situation that we're in? Mm -hmm. And then maybe saying, how do we put them in an order that is going to make sense and not overwhelm myself? And then there's times where just making the right decision, which sometimes takes more time to really think about what sure. decision you make, but that could be the smallest step. And what we're sometimes, sometimes what I think this has evolved for me is that determining how I take that first step is also a small step. Absolutely. And so it's not always the physical step you're taking or it's not always the decision you're making and not wonder and wondering whether or not that is small or large. It's also just the mindset that you have to know that I need to evaluate what I need to do in this moment. And I need to determine like, is this easy for me? Is this hard for me? And if it's hard for me, is there anything I can do for myself in that moment? to help make that step easier to take on. And so it could be right. as simple as leaving my office and going to my house and just 
spending some time with the dog. And sometimes that gives me clarity on that decision I have to make. Other times it could be really going through the process of determining like what step do I take first? Because maybe there are five to 10 steps that I need to take and there's no way around it. And so it's kind of determining which one is the first one that's going to make the most sense for the end result. And then other times it's just making that decision to just move in a direction where I can think a little more clearly. So it, it's it's hard to really say, you know, how I make these decisions. But what sure. I can say at the end of the day is, is that there's nothing wrong with taking a step backwards too. And to say, you know, mm-hmm. the small step doesn't always have to be the small step forward. It can always be the small step backward too. And so I think that it's okay, learning that it's okay to take a step back before you take a step forward can sometimes be the most important step that you have. And so it doesn't always mean that you have to have five or six steps in the future to be able to accomplish that big change. Right. It could maybe be a couple steps in the in in the that are forward, but maybe you have to take a step backwards before you can take that first step forward. Oh, I love that. You know, this is like mindfulness on steroids. It's like proactive mindfulness. <laughs> I love that. And I love that you said the step backward. I think that's hard for people because I see that as a negative. Oh, I slip back 10 steps, you know, one step back and all of this, it's harder to move forward with, with all of this. So how do you give yourself permission to step back? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, Permission is a word that I have actually just spent a lot of time around lately. I have a speaker who just released a book, Permission to Speak. Uh, her name yeah. is Samara Bay. Great book. If anyone wants to get it, it's it's available now and it's it's wonderful. And it really talks about the relationship that we have between our voice and our inner voice, right? And so mm-hmm. I reference her book because I think it actually has a great connection with recovery is that when we give ourselves permission to recover, sometimes Sometimes people think that, you know, it is this idea that we're able to accomplish anything that's ahead of us or tackle any problem that's ahead of us. And and it's wrong because when you, you know, you're the permission that you give yourself to just take a step back and to say, like, what is ahead of me? What is this problem that I have? It's it's honoring yourself. Uh-huh. It's it's saying to yourself that you matter more then this physical decision that you have to make, or it, it's this this change that you have to, you know, see in order to succeed. And it's saying that you are giving yourself permission to determine what's best for you. And so I think that the word permission, it means everything, you know, that, that the definition says, but it also is a personal word for everyone. And sure. everyone's definition of permission is different. And so for me, Permission is honoring ourselves, but permission is also giving ourselves the chance to screw up without consequence. Mm -hmm. It's giving ourselves the chance to maybe not move forward at the pace that our external environments want us to and being okay with that. Sure. Uh, I think that for a long time, I had a lot of friends that were like, you've been sober for a year and a half. You've been, you know, you've been doing so well. And in my mind for so long, I was like, yeah, you're right. Let me go and, you know, watch that game with you at this sports bar with this person that I don't really want to be around, which are all just things for me that now I just wouldn't put myself in that position. Sure. I had to learn how to give myself permission to say no. Because mm-hmm. that's a complete sentence. 
Yes. And I had to learn how to say to myself, okay, what was good yesterday may not be good today. So I had to give myself permission to, to change my mind. Um, you know, and all of that goes into a bucket of giving yourself permission to honor yourself. I love that so much. It's like giving yourself grace. Yeah. I mean, it's everything, right? It's, it's everything that I think that we lacked while we were using substance, (laughs) which is the fact that we were, we were saying to ourselves what I want internally and what I want my life to be like and the decisions I want to make and the people I want to surround myself with and the kind of work that I want to make my own and be proud of. That's all good and important, but it's more important that everyone around me is approving of those decisions more than I am. It's it's more important that I get more likes on that photo on Instagram. It's more important that, you know, my my parents are proud of me. And when you can flip the narrative there and you can say, did that Instagram post make an impact on the people mm-hmm. that saw it? You know, like, am I proud of the son that I am for my parents? You know, like, am I happy with the work I'm doing? And am I able to go to work every day and feel fulfilled and accomplished? It takes away from the idea that you need your boss to say you did a good job, that you mm-hmm. need to have 100 people like that post. Because I walk into all of those situations now already feeling fulfilled because I already gave myself permission to know that I am making a decision that is going to be the best for me. And it doesn't matter what everyone else thinks. It matters what I think. And when you start to do that consistently, and when you really make it known that you are really looking for the why of the decisions you're making, the impact, the purpose, whatever you want to call it, and you start just stacking those decisions up one by one by one by one by one, holy smokes, like your whole world moves in a direction where all of the admir- uh, the adoration that you wanted prior, like all of the accolades, all of the attention, you get it anyways. Like that, it, it's what this world brings you. It's what authentic decision-making and giving yourself permission brings you is everything that you wanted that you are looking for from the external world by focusing on your inner self and letting that person come to the external world, then you get everything that you want. And so it's, it's something where I just feel like now by putting it into practice and by being really intentional around that mindfulness and understanding Mm -hmm. that every decision I make is truly what the decision I want to make, Mm -hmm. even when things don't go right for everyone else, they go right for me because I made the decision that I wanted to make. And so I don't have regret. I don't feel like I'm not worthy. I don't feel like I didn't make the decision that I should have made or that I didn't want to make. I just feel like the decision I made that I'm really proud of and that I have found to be the best for me just wasn't right for you. And I don't care. <laughs> I love that because it's enough. You're enough. It's enough. And to, it's enough. And is that a practice for you to kind of stay in that permission it's enough intentional mindset. Is is that a practice for you? I don't think it's a practice because I think it's a sense of being. Because it's, it's not about it's not about the doing, right? Uh-huh. It's about it's about the believing. It's the believing that that is is what's right for me. The practice, I think, is. I mean, everyone says it, and and again, I think I did an eye roll when I when, every time I heard it until it became my norm mm-hmm. was this idea of gratitude. Right. Like Mm -hmm. what I do every single morning when I wake up 
is I say to myself, and, and I don't even have to say it anymore, it's just natural for me, is I try to find the fastest, in the, in the fastest way, in the most easy, you know, lazy, just <laughs> the easiest way possible, I like to try to t remind myself, wow, three years ago, I couldn't have had that in my life, or I wouldn't have made that decision, or I wouldn't have done that. Sometimes it's as simple as the fact that I don't have a headache when I wake up in the morning. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as the fact that, you know, I'm able to wake up and, and be a functioning, contributing member of society, mm -hmm. you know, before three espresso shots or right. if I really want to get deep, it's before blowing a line of cocaine. Like when I have those moments early on in my day, doesn't matter what happens to me throughout the day. One of my first thoughts was great was gratitude and it was being grateful for the life that i have and for me i've been able to get into a mindset of that's enough mm -hmm. because i know that sobriety for me when it comes to alcohol and cocaine like that gives me not only permission it's the magic key that i'm given to be able to tackle every single thing in my life that doesn't go according to drew's plan and let's face it Every single day, we all have things that don't go according to plan. Yes. I mean, I feel like for the past 40 minutes that I've been, you know, chatting with you, I'm sure in my email box, I have a few things that are not going to go according to the plan <laughs> that I had prior to us getting on this, you know, this call and, and sure. having this conversation. Now, prior to my recovery, I would throw that problem into the same bucket as my substance use abuse. And I would throw everything there and it would just come down to this common denominator of, my life sucks. Why does this happen to me? Why is this happening to me today? I can't believe this is happening. And I would be blaming every single person but myself, every mm -hmm. single reason but my own. And by giving myself the grace to understand that, oh, wait, remind yourself, Drew, you don't drink anymore. You are not looking for a line of Coke anymore. <laughs> you don't need to worry about that event that might be canceling or that contract dispute or that stupid, silly fight that you had with your partner last mm -hmm. night. Why don't you have to worry about all those things that are real and that are there? Because what matters most is already happening. You know, you're sober and, and you're you're going through recovery. And, and so what I say about it is, is that recovery is not, I mean, sobriety is not always easy. I mean, so mm -hmm. many people told me prior to, um, you know, this big life change that, if you stop drinking and you stop doing drugs, everything in your life will be amazing. And we all get told that. And it's like, it's yeah. bullshit, though. <laughs> it is. Oh, it's such bullshit. It's and I so always say bullshit. <laughs> it's so bullshit. And I think that's why relapse, ha relapse happens. Absolutely. And I think that's why so many people don't find the fulfillment in sobriety that so many people find in recovery. recovery. Right. I say that for me, like, I, I, I like to use this analogy where I say, like, think of your life as a power strip. We're all a power strip, right? Well, sobriety is the plug that goes into the wall. It's not, it's not the rest of the power strip. That's recovery. That's the permission. Or I mean, the permission is the plug that goes into the wall. Now, if that plug doesn't work, if I'm drinking, if I'm doing drugs, then, then that's me not giving myself permission to recover. If that plug doesn't work, how is the how are all the other plugs that are supposed to give power on that strip supposed to power the rest of your life when the plug that goes into the wall doesn't work? And so that's my sobriety. But 
the recovery is making sure that I protect my sobriety so that the rest of the power strip works. I love that analogy. That's great because the sobriety might be the baseline to start everything, but the decision-making, the the type of lifestyle you choose because of that sobriety can become the recovery and beyond, right? And and for you, with your outlet, with using that same metaphor, how has your life changed? Like if you talk to me right now, which we are, what do you think the top three things have changed exponentially for you because of your decision and the work that you've done to stay sober and to be in recovery? I'm able to show up now in a way that I'm proud of. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me, it's had such an impact on my self-worth, my self-love. Um, I think that it's also the idea that I'm able to feel things now in ways that I, if there's any regret I have, it's that. It's it's the fact that I stripped myself from feeling, which mm-hmm. is, holy crap, as human beings, why would we ever want to strip ourselves from feeling all of the good, bad, ugly, sad, amazing mm-hmm. moments of life? They are what defines us. And I think Glennon Doyle said something at an event Love that him. I had with, that I had with, um, her and and another um, self-care expert that I work with. And Glennon said something around the idea that as human beings, you know, we believe that being human is feeling happy. But really what being human is, is feeling everything. And if we're not feeling everything, how are we able to be happy first and foremost? But then also, like, how are we able to navigate the world? And so... What I can say that, you know, now without a shadow of a doubt is that I show up as the full version of myself. I I mean, forget about being the most authentic version of myself or the most intentional version of myself. I am showing up just being me. And then what that allows me to do is to forget about the ways in which I tried to not be me. Right. And really just focus on being me. And then I've been able to now learn, like, what do I like? What do I not like? And I, and I think I thought that I knew those things before, but I had no idea. I, I was living this life of like what I thought life was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And now I'm able to live a life of what I want my life to be, like what I hope for my life to be. Mm-hmm. And so it's given me a sense of hope, a sense of really setting goals and, and being able to dream. And I think that you know, what it's really been able to do is it's allowed me to envision a future that that isn't going to be as hard as I once thought life was. And I think that going back to the LGBTQ side of things, like, I mean, isn't that what every LGBTQ folk wants in life is to know that life is going to be as kind to you as you want to be as kind to the world? And I think that, you know, it's the fear that LGBTQ folk have and their families have and their loved ones have. And so now I know that because of the way I'm showing up, I'm able to have more of an impact on the world, treating me and the people within my community in a way that we deserve to be treated. And and it shouldn't take sobriety and recovery to be able to do that. But I do think that it's kind of like that I, you know, it's, it's, it's like what they say in the Wizard of Oz. And, and it's really, I think, what defines me now as a, as a human is, is what Glinda says when she says, like, 
don't worry, you've had it inside of you all awesome. along. You just That's needed right. to see it for yourself. And I'm able to see it for myself now. Oh, how beautiful. That gives me chills. I mean, such truth and in beauty as you describe all of that, you know, which, you know, other people listening who are kind of contemplating a path of sobriety and recovery and who've tried possibly AA or treatment, some of the traditional things, and they're not finding that it works. And I know this is somewhat of a broad question, but based on your experience, what would you say to those folks who are contemplating to, to get to where you are, but the traditional path hasn't worked? You have to make a determination that you want it. Now, I think that for some that that's a really easy thing to say, oh, if I could find a way to get rid of all of this, you know, in my life that is weighing me down, like, yeah, that would be amazing. And so I think that's first and foremost. Sure. If you don't want it, then then how do you figure it out? And I think what many people don't think about is that they think that that road ahead is so daunting and that you're not going to have people that want to support you and that you're not going to have the same opportunities that are in front of you now. And I have learned, and it took a long time, but our adversities, they are our power. They are everything. And mm -hmm. I think that when, when you, and it's going back to that statement that I said, where the same skills and the same strategies that we use to survive are the same skills and the same strategies that we use to thrive. I, you know, in having this conversation and thinking about it more, I actually think that those skills and strategies are more important to serve, mm. to thrive than they are to even survive. Because in survival mode, we are saying like, what do we need to do to get to tomorrow? Right. Where when we're in th thriving mode, we're saying like, what are we gonna do tomorrow that's gonna be great? What are we gonna do in 10 years? Like, cause every decision we make is going to lead to that bigger goal. Thriving right. is this idea of just really living a life of purpose and, and a life of happiness and a life of just understanding that we are so much more, you know, there's more for us out there. And so for those that, have seen, you know, the same result through structured, you know, kind of recovery and sobriety that I saw. It's it's just knowing that if you have the ability to say, I want to change my life, you have the ability to change it. Because the hardest decision is to say, I want to make that change. And I think that if if you focus less on getting there and you focus more on the journey, less around the destination and more sure. on the journey, that destination becomes far more clear and it becomes something where, you know, that first time that you walk into that social environment and you say, I'm not drinking tonight, it's hard. It, it is. I'm not going to say it's easy. I mean, there's right. some people I think that say, oh, yeah, it was so easy for me. And I think I was one of those people for a while. But all I can say is, is that it does get harder and it does get more challenging. But if you are able to see that your power is in saying no. The same way that you may have that friend that can have three or four glasses of wine and wake up the next day and they're not impacted by it. And that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. We all know people like that. And right. I think that you and I both could say that that's still not a good space to be in. We <laughs> right. do know people that are able to walk that line that I know for certain I'm not able to walk. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're able to live a life that is fulfilling for them and that is sure. successful and and, you know, we, it's the people that are really, I hate to say it, the proponents of, of the toxic, you know, substance culture that, that I can't, I can't live in. Right. But when you're, when you know that that's not for you and you're able to say that out loud, you've already taken the first step. Mm -hmm. And I think that using every step that you take as kind of your toolkit 
and your kind of war chest to navigate recovery, that's the only way that you can do it. If you want to hide your dark moments, if you want to hide, you know, the parts of your life that just you don't want to come to the surface, you can do that from a lot of people. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, I'm very public with my recovery and, mm -hmm. and I think that that's, that's what I need. But if you don't want to be that public, it doesn't mean that you have to go to a structured recap or you need to go to AA. Mm -hmm. You need to find the people that are there with you, but you need to come to the other side with at least a small community so that you can have your truth and your past be real and, and for it to be out there. I have a cousin who has gone through substance abuse and, you know, they just, they're not capable at this point of really being open and honest with what they went through. And, and I always say that I feel so sad for them mm -hmm. because I get worried. I get worried sure. that, you know, are they going to turn that corner? And I think that, you know, the, the one suggestion that I can give to those that aren't able to go to a weekly meeting or go spend an extended amount of time in these, you know, scientifically proven spaces that right. work. That's right. Then you have to create that environment for yourself. And the first way to do that is to build a community, no matter small nor large. It, it doesn't matter, you know, if it's as big as mine might be or as small as people I know that I really have an immense amount of respect for them. You need to build a community that knows your truth, that knows your story, that knows your past, that knows your dark moments. Because if you leave that up, to, you know, just our imaginations to determine, you know, what does so-and-so need to stay in this space of recovery, in this space of sobriety, you are putting yourself at risk of just having moments to just be alone and to, and to just not have accountability. And, and right. when you don't have accountability, that's when you can go back to old patterns and old ways and, and you can really create this false reality in your mind and so what I say to people is, is that you don't need that structured service, but you do need to create a structure that works for you. And it doesn't have to make sense to anyone else but you, but it needs to be there. And if you think that you can just move forward the way that life was before and just physically remove, you know, the substance from your life and that everything else can stay the way it was, you're just setting yourself up to potentially relapse or potentially to just not treat yourself and honor yourself the way you need to to thrive. I think that's a beautiful answer. I appreciate that because it's true. Just like you were saying, just because you stop the substance doesn't mean everything is going to be rainbows and, you know, perfect. Um, it's going to take some time. And you mentioned earlier, too, when you were willing to listen, then there was some, some self-exploration and taking in the people that love and care for you and that were concerned for you. Um, so I love what you were saying about staying connected with those people, whether it's a few people or a lot, but connection is the opposite of addiction in many, many ways and finding that community. And with all of the work that you've done, how do you have fun now? How do you relax and how do you have a good time now? Yeah, it's it's been a process. I think that I, <laughs> uh -huh. um, you know, I, I saw it firsthand and it, and it really, you know, entering recovery was also giving myself permission to have fun again. Uh, I nice. think that uh -huh. sobriety almost, you know, in, in a way too, and, you know, I will never stop talking about how, you know, we need to have fun. We oh, need yeah. to find the things that we love. We need to find how those things look in recovery and how those things look compared to how they looked before. 
I, you know, a year into my sobriety, which really turned the corner on into recovery was, was that I had really hard things happen Mm -hmm. that just taking away substance was not going to fix. They were everything from, and this all happened in a, you know, about a month period where I lost a really close friend to cancer. Mm -hmm. He wasn't coming back. Mm -hmm. That pain, that grief was not going away. And I used to use substance to handle that. Sure. So what am I going to do for me right. to cope with that? What now? My partner had an affair, three-month affair, a year into my sobriety. How are we going to get through that? Right. How are we going to move in the right direction? And then the light bulb went off for both of us. Oh, wait. We were in a really, really, really hard, difficult relationship for two and a half years almost with substance being the power outlet to our relationship. So now if we're going to go back to that power outlet example is like, we've given ourselves permission to power a new relationship. Mm. What does that new relationship look like? What do we need? What do we need to do for each other? What kind of fun do we need to have now? Because we can't go back to the fun that we were having before. Right. If it involves substance. And so it's not just yourself, but it's also the people around you. And then also it's with work too. I mean, I was burning out about a year and a half ago, a little over a year ago. Mm-hmm. I had used work to get sober. I was working on Saturdays and Sundays, going into the office. It was my safe space to make uh-huh. sure that I was giving myself a place that I could go to where I knew that there wasn't substance and that I wasn't going to be put into that corner. But I realized that by not infusing fun and enjoyment in my life, all of that you know, was at risk. And so what do I do now? Well, I, I, I read a lot. Mm -hmm. I watch TV a lot. I spend a lot of time with my dog. I I went back to the things that, you know, there's always, we all have to remember that there's times in our lives, whether we had a traumatic childhood, whether we had the perfect childhood, there was a time in our lives when we were not using substance. Absolutely. And what kind of fun did you have then? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. what did you do for yourself then? And so I went back to that and I said to myself, I love sports. I love to go to games. I love to play sports. I love to know about sports. I love to just be in the know when it comes to so much around pop culture. Uh And so I dove back into that. I mean, I will say that I watch an hour of like brainless television every single night because for me, it's my way of really just understanding that it's okay to laugh and it's okay to see, you know, just it's okay to watch dramatic situations. I'm a big Bravo person out there. (laughs) I'm a big housewives guy. I, but my way in which I've absorbed that content has also changed. And that's when I know that it's not happening for me the same way that it did before. I used to try to be a part of those chaotic situations. I used to try to envision myself in those situations. Now my emotions are just, they flow with it. Mm-hmm. So I am able to, even through my, you know, ways of having fun and my ways of reminding myself that I'm only human, I am emotional through the that process. And uh-huh. so I'm able to really, you know, bring my story and what I need. I bring it to everything that I do now. And so it's, it's a blessing and a curse, but what I've found to be the most um, cathartic for me is is to be able to infuse my story, you know, to have a little bit of self-deprecation and, <laughs> and when it comes to my own past. Uh, I mean, I'd be the first to tell someone. I mean, 
I'm having a really hard time getting medication right now through my psychiatry office because of shortages nationwide when it comes to medication. Mm-hmm. And so I said to someone today, and they couldn't believe I said it, but I said it in front of 10 people on a call where I said, gosh, you know, it was easier for me to get an eight ball of Coke from my <laughs> dealer than it is for me to get a prescription filled at CVS. Like, what is going on in our world? And if you saw right. the people's faces on the Zoom, they were like, oh. what the? And I just started laughing. And my two colleagues on the call started laughing. I had to then explain myself. But for me, that mm-hmm. was a moment of like, wow, how far have I come? And, right? and how powerful am I am to make that statement? But also like that gets me through tough times. Like that makes me laugh about the fact that I am currently today not on the medication that I really need to be able to do the work that I do. But I know that I'm stronger than that. And I know that I'm capable and I know that it may take a little bit more work today, but that I'm able to survive. And it's far easier to go through the hard parts of life laughing. And it's far easier going through the hard parts of life knowing that you've gotten through the hardest thing that you will ever get through. And it helps others. You know, my mom, my mom and I are so close and and I believe that every person in my family, my recovery has helped my relationships with them. Mm-hmm. But I will say that with my mom, like I even see more that that things before that my Irish Catholic mom who's super stubborn about things and has her own perspective and her own opinions and she likes to say she's set in her ways, she's in her 60s. Well, my ability to get through something that she'll never have to get through inspires her to get through some of those things that she's like, I'm set in my ways. (laughs) Well, really? Because if I had said that when I got that second DUI in 10 years in 2020, what would, what, when I say this to my mom, I go, what would you have said to that? If I had said, sorry, I'm not changing. I'm set in my ways. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, so we can do hard things. It's okay. And it's all about your journey and your process and in, in trying to get through those hard times. And so the long-winded answer to, to your question is I bring my past, my present, and my future to everything I do. <laughs> it gives me kindness to myself because I'm realizing that I am able to say, yep, you were, you were a coke addict. Yep, yep. That's exactly who you are and you're not anymore. And that's okay to share it with everyone within your community because if they're not okay with that, they shouldn't be a part of your community. And so what I'm able to do now is I bring that authenticity, I bring that intentional mindset, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's with my partner, whether it's with my immediate family, extended family, whether it's when I go to the grocery store. I don't hide who I once was because I never wanted to hide it then. <laughs> so why do I want to hide it now? I was never ashamed of of showing up for something hungover or drunk before. I was never hiding the fact that I was going into the bathroom to do a bump of cocaine before. So so why do I need to hide that now? And and I think for me that I'm able to understand that the way in which I show up now, it can it can always be fun. It can always be laughter. It can always be kindness mm-hmm. because even the darkest parts of my story they are are things that I'm through and that I'm able to yeah. now say are in the past. And we should never be ashamed of our pasts because they truly are what lay the foundation for our future. And thank you very much for walking us through that. I think that was beautifully said. 
And my next question really is, what's next for you, speaking of your future? What is next for Drew? Well, I'm going to go back to my desk and work on emails. I mean, oh, you mean in the future, future? Yes. Okay. All right. I thought you meant like <laughs> next, next. What's, next? Um, what's your next step? That's very good. <laughs> I feel as if I don't know. And I love that. Great. Because I know that I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to say to myself that I am grateful that my life is the way it is now and not the mm -hmm. way it was three years ago. I know that tomorrow I'm going to have stress and I'm going to have a problem in my job. And I know that I have the skills to get through it. And I know that I have the mindset to not only survive through it, but to thrive through it. I have a speaker, right. Joanne McCallie, uh, who used to coach at Duke and, and is a... Uh, major um, advocate for bipolar disorder and has been so intentionally and courageously powerful through her own story. And she likes to say, like, why are we not looking at things? Why are we saying survivorship? Why are we not saying thrivership? Like, why, why do we have to survive? Why can't mm -hmm. we just well, focus on thriving? And so what's next for me, it's not a physical thing. It, it's a state of being. Mm -hmm. I, what's next for me is that I am, I am at my moment of thriving. Mm -hmm. everything I want to do in the future. I want to thrive. I don't want to survive. Mm -hmm. I'm tired. I say that to people all the time. I say, you know, unfortunately, the gay community, especially gay men, you know, there's this idea of what is fabulous? What is fabulous? Is it having, you know, right. six to eight washboard abs that right. is so unattainable and, you know, wearing a crop top and going to gay pride and then mm -hmm. going to the parties after and, making sure that you have this label and that label. And, mm. you know, it's it's that your sneakers are white when you go to the club just so that they're not white when you leave. And they can be a $20 pair of sneakers or you can be really rich and they can be a $2,500 pair of sneakers. Really doesn't matter. They're both dirty at the end of the day. So, like, what is fabulous? For me, it's it's this idea that I want to move in the future and I want to mm. redefine fabulous. It's It's not what that external validation is it's what our internal validation is it's it's following that internal gps and what is that gps telling us of what's next for us what is going to make you feel good right. what is going to make you happy what is going to make you say at the end of the day i showed up today in the hardest times i showed up today in the easiest times i showed up today in the most kind times i showed up today in the meanest times and i was happy and i was proud through all of that it doesn't matter whether the world was giving me grace or not giving me grace or challenging me or making it easy. It's how did I feel through those moments? And I know that for me, I make a conscious decision every day that even though we're going to get stressed and we're going to get upset, I am so much more than that one moment. And my life means so much more than that. Wow. Can't really top that at all. I, I really appreciate that. And it is, it really is about your own narrative, how you can change that narrative of what Thrive means and what Fabulous means. I love that. I think that's wonderful and a, and a very strong message. Um, how can people find you? Well, I am a big TikToker. I know not <laughs> everyone loves that, but um, I am uh, putting content out daily on my TikTok, on my Instagram. The Small Steps pod is the best one to follow. I do have new episodes that will be coming in the next month. Um, you'll be doing 40 weeks straight. So really wow. looking forward to that. And, you know, the nice part about my podcast, and it's really what I found through my own recovery journey and, and something that I think is, um, you know, really important for people to know. And it's what builds this community is that, of course, we have a, a, a recovery community to turn to. 
to, to help, you know, fuel our own recovery and to give us hope when we're in those dark moments. But what I've learned through my own recovery journey is that the way in which I'm navigating recovery is the same way that so many people navigate other life problems that they go through. Mm -hmm. And so I just love to absorb information. And so on my podcast, like, it's very rare that you're going to see someone that has gone through recovery or is currently going through mm -hmm. recovery. Uh, I, I tend to try to find my my story within other people's stories mm -hmm. and and really trying to build community and understand that the way in which someone may have navigated their career journey, maybe being the only AAPI person in the room, like a Juju Chang, mm -hmm. is the mm -hmm. same way in which maybe I'm looking for representation in my community when it comes to being, you know, an addict alcoholic that is part of the LGBTQ community. I mean, okay. it's the same process of just overcoming adversity realizing that the adversities we go through, they are our strengths once we go through them, mm -hmm. and just knowing that you're not alone. I think that's powerful. So I I will definitely keep listening to your podcast, and I look forward to hearing more. And it was such a pleasure to meet you, to talk with you, and hopefully we can talk again soon. But thank you so much, Drew. It was great to talk to you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to Recovery Plus Podcast, Fuck Yesterday, Focus on Today. I'm your host, Dr. Mainly Hennon, celebrating and honoring people in recovery one conversation at a time. This podcast is sponsored by Red Door Coaching and Consulting, and you can find my podcast on Amazon, Apple, and Spotify. Also, you can find me at my website at www.reddoorcc.com. You can email me at mhennon at reddoorcc.com if you're interested in transformational coaching. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.